Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. I hope you'll stay with me on this, but I want to rush through some things, not too fast, to get to what I want to actually talk about here this morning. I want to talk about church as the people of God. Like, what is church? What does it mean to be the people of God? When Jesus builds the church, and the Bible tells us that he builds the church, not us, that he builds the church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, what exactly is it that he's building? Is it, is it a building like this? Is it just wherever you are? I've, I've got friends of mine who aren't Christians yet who love to say, you know what? The mountains are my church. Or, you know, when I cycle, it's, that's my church. And I'm like, I don't think that's what Jesus died for was your bicycle. Um, but people have all kinds of ideas about what it means. And if I'm describing church as the people of God, then what is it God had in mind when he talked about the church? Now, I want to begin this actually in 1 Peter chapter 2 and pray for Joyce because I sent her a ton of scriptures of which I might use four of them today. And, uh, but we'll see how far we get. But that's why it's good to bring your Bible. I remember back in the day when I grew up, when I said turn to 1 Peter 2, there were actually paper Bibles that opened up and now you just Flip on your phone and find out where you're at. So depending on which generation you're from, you may turn or turn on or flip or scroll. But let's get to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is writing to a specific group of people. And I think it's important that we're going to talk about who he is that he's actually writing to. Okay? When persecution hit the church after Jesus had ascended into heaven, after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit filled all the believers and empowered the believers, the church, to go be the gospel out into the world, persecution began to hit, particularly in Jerusalem. Rome began to persecute the church. Jews who did not believe in Jesus began to persecute the church, and they just couldn't stay anymore. So like you would see in a war-ravaged area in the 21st century, when war hits, what do people do? They flee, they scatter, and you end up with refugees crossing borders, going into other places. That's exactly what happened to the church in the time that Peter's writing this. And the ones that left are what's known as the diaspora. Everybody say diaspora. All you Greek scholars, correct me if I just pronounced it wrongly. The diaspora. What the diaspora is, they are believers that have been scattered elsewhere in the world. They're no longer hanging out in the Jesus Club in Jerusalem. They've now been scattered to the outermost parts. But they took Jesus where they went. The amazing thing about the diaspora is when they would flee the persecution and end up in some city, maybe where no one had heard of Jesus yet, so they didn't even know to persecute him, they would find each other. They'd find other Christians and believers, and pretty soon, a church would spring up in the very place where they started. Without any apostolic oversight, without any person that went and gave them the authority to do it, they just gathered together and a church started. And signs, wonders, and miracles happened in those places. It was wonderful. Peter is writing this book, 1 Peter, to the diaspora. It's not written to a particular church. It's written to those who have been scattered because of persecution that happened. Why am I saying that? Because if you ever had a season in your life 
when you feel like you've been scattered. Maybe you've been chased out of the place that you once called home. Maybe the places where you were once welcome, you're no longer welcome anymore. Maybe you deployed. Maybe you ended up in a city and you go, what the heck am I doing here? Maybe the place where you found Jesus is no longer the place that it used to be. And you realize, I can't stay here anymore. I've got to go. Sometimes people leave churches for bad reasons, but sometimes people leave churches for good reasons. And you find yourself scattered. You find yourself in a place where you realize, I actually need to be a part of the body of Christ, but I feel like I'm alone. I feel like I've been isolated. I feel like I've been scattered. This book is for you. So when Peter writes this, he's writing it to you as much as he did back in the first century. And in chapter 2, verse, uh, I don't know, I don't have verses in my notes, so I think it's 2. Peter writes, as you come to him, the living stone. Do you see that in your Bibles? Who is the living stone that he's talking about? It's Jesus. As you come to him, the living stone, as I come to Jesus, even if you've been scattered through maybe it's a fault of your own, maybe it's just circumstances, maybe it's something that happened to you, when you find yourself scattered, you still need to come to him, the living stone. Come to Jesus. And Peter writes, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's telling them that when you come to Jesus, you are also being built into a spiritual house. I love the illustration that Romy uses. I might be a brick, you might be some mortar, you might be a stone, but we, as the people of God, are being built together. God has no intention of making a house out of you. God has no intention of making a house out of just you and your family. God's intention is that we would become a house together with stones of all shapes, sizes, ages, color, likes, dislikes. We are a house being built together. Now, the amazing thing is, if you took people who, like if you took a bunch of stones that were very different and tried to put them together and make a house, it'd be one funky looking house. We are all so different, but yet when God puts it together, he's the master builder. And he takes things that normally man can't seem to fit together, and he just makes it work. He just goes, let me put some Holy Spirit mortar in between these stones and watch how beautiful this thing is. And sometimes the process, you see it getting built. You ever seen a building being built? There's a Starbucks that's being built near my house, and every time I'm like, it doesn't look like Starbucks. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. And the whole time, this building process, you're like, man, that part seems to be taking a longer time. You drive past it every day. I don't know what they're building over there. But that, and all of a sudden, just the other day, I was like, oh, that was the drive-thru. I thought that was the main entrance. I thought, what a fun, oh, that's the, oh, that's the drive-thru. I get it now. You see, when God builds us together as a family, sometimes in the process, you're going, this is not going to turn out so great. But when you see the finished product, you go, oh, I'm glad I'm not the master builder, and he is. 
Sometimes in your marriage, you start to work stuff out, and you're like, this is not looking good. But if you stay committed to the process and putting your marriage in the hands of the master builder and allowing him to build your life together, then you got to trust that although right now there's some rough edges, that he's going to make something beautiful out of your marriage and out of your family. But we are being built together. Verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Where's Larry? That's it. Calling you into his wonderful light that's plugged in, and that's why it's working. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Thank you, Jesus, that we are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, when it comes to our relationship with God, I've experienced plenty of people that feel like they're orphans. And they walk around life with an orphan heart. And they sabotage relationships right when they start to get breakthrough because they're afraid of what it could become if it doesn't work out. And so instead of sticking with this and letting God work in it, right when things get good, they just sabotage it and move out of the relationship or they begin to manipulate and control. And it's like, why did you do that? Nothing up until this point was anything but good. But you sabotaged it right at the point where it could have led to something even more beautiful. That's an orphaned heart. We know that we're not orphans because we've been adopted by God. But not only are we not orphans, I want you to hear this, we're also not only children. (laughs) I was raised with brothers and sisters. I have an older brother and an older sister. And my mom was an only child. And I remember how important it was for my mom for other siblings to get along, which happens sometimes. But she would always explain to us, look, I was an only child. I don't have what you have. These things are worth working out because you probably don't understand the value of what it means to have a brother and a sister. I was so grateful for the perspective of a parent that could help me understand how good I really had it. And that things in the family were worth working out because it's better to have a brother with challenges than it is to not have a brother. Does that that make sense of what I'm saying? God not only doesn't leave us as orphans, he also doesn't leave, leave us as only children. We're not alone. He's brought us together. So what are these things that bring us together? There's a couple things I want you to see here. The first thing that makes us the people of God is that we are a chosen people. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What's the first thing we see is that we are chosen. Do you know what that means? God picked you before you picked him. You see, when you enter into a relationship, when I asked Romy to marry me, I chose her. I said, Romy, will you marry me? But there was another part of that equation that needed to happen. She had to choose me. There's still days I go, I can't believe you said yes to this. 
Did you have any idea what you were saying yes to? Right? But it was a choosing on both ways. But she couldn't choose to marry me if I had not first chosen her. If I had not first offered myself to her, she'd have nothing to offer to me. Does that make sense? God chose you first. Before you were even born, before he knit you together in your mother's womb, before any of your days came to be, God picked you. Do you know how freeing that is? To know that he chose you. So stop disqualifying yourself. He picked you for no other reason than because he loves you. He didn't pick you because of what you can do for him. He didn't pick you for what you've done. He didn't pick you for who you married. He didn't pick you for what family you came from. He picked you because he loves you. I know what it's like to not be picked. When I was in junior high school, that's middle school for you guys that are not my age. When I was in junior high school, I wasn't the Addy Hook of my junior high school. I tried out for soccer basketball and baseball my eighth and my ninth grade years and got cut by all three teams both years you know the cuts back in the days where they post like each week they post who's on the team and you I've never read a list so fast in my whole life as to see whether your name is on there now I think they're really nice about it Uh, and then they developed a JV squad for those who got cut and I'm like we didn't have any of that. It was just you either made it or you didn't, right? And so I remember getting cut six times in a row, six teams in a row I got cut from. I know what it's like to feel like you haven't been chosen. So for me, a part of my life had to understand what it's like to feel like I've been chosen. Because when you've been passed over enough times, you can really develop that association with being passed over that well, God's just going to pass me over too. And I can approach God like I approached the coaches that had cut me. And I can find myself not worthy of being chosen. And when I say, God, I'm not worthy of being chosen, why would you choose me? He'd go, you're absolutely right. You are not worthy of being chosen. But because I choose you, I will make you worthy. You see, the righteousness you have is not your own. It's mine that I give to you. God chooses you because he loves you. What makes you a part of the people of God is God's choice in you. So when people reject you, when family rejects you, God chooses you every single time. And it will be hard to walk through life being overlooked and not chosen by others. But God picks you time and time again, and he doesn't change his mind. So the church is a result of God's sovereignty and his grace. Here's the other thing that we are. So one, we're a chosen people. The second thing is we are a called out people. Called out. What are we called out of? You're called out of the world. When God chooses you, he doesn't say, I pick you. Now, keep living the way you've always lived and keep doing the things. He goes, no, no, no. I have called you out. Psalm says he he pulled me out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock. God didn't call me and say, get out of the pit. He called me and said, I choose you. 
I am pulling you out of the miry clay and setting your feet on a rock. We are called out. What does it mean to be called out? It means that we don't live like the world lives. We don't have to think like the world thinks. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. When you begin to live in heaven, it's not when you die. It's the moment you respond to the choosing and say, God, you chose me. I choose you. Heaven begins then, not when you die. It's not us in heaven. It's heaven in us. That's the intention for him, for us, by God. It's why Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's not trying to get us to heaven. He's trying to get heaven in us. My eternal life begins now, not when I get to heaven. Oh, it gets better. The day I do go to heaven when I die or he comes back, it gets way better. But I don't have to wait for that moment to experience heaven now. We are a called out people. Noah was called out of the world into the ark. That was an important step. You are here today because Noah got called out of the world and into the ark. How many are grateful that Noah obeyed God? Abram was called out of his father's house and into the covenant. The Hebrews were called out of Egypt and into the promised land. The exiles were called out of Babylon and into Jerusalem. Gideon was called out of a wine press and into leadership. David was called out of the fields and into the anointing. Zacchaeus called out of the tree and into a table fellowship with Jesus. The disciples were called out of their professions and into a life with Jesus. Peter called out of a boat and into a miracle walking on water. The man with legion called out of the tombs and into freedom and into revival. And even Jesus was called out of heaven and into the world so that through him the world might be saved. We are a called out people. 1 Peter 1.17, he writes, Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. What a weird concept. Live my life here as a stranger. Have you ever felt like a stranger in this world? Do you ever see what's happening in the world and you're like, I feel like such a stranger here? Good. Heaven is our home. Don't get used to cancer. Don't get used to loneliness. Don't get used to just sore joints and knees all the time. Don't get used to a halfway mediocre heart towards the presence of God. Because heaven is our home. And if it ain't in heaven, I don't want to get used to it here. Heaven is our home. I wrote in my notes, it's really hard for me to get caught up in the politics of this world when my heart is in heaven it's hard for me to long for the things of this world when the kingdom is here number three four whatever it is next thing we are is we are a sent out people a sent out people in other words not only are we called to called out of the world and into a relationship with him and being built as a foundation 
but we are also called to be sent out. The scattering of Jerusalem that I talked about before, it was painful, but it was necessary. You know, the church has thrived in times of persecution, and it's suffered in times of peace. Isn't that weird? Like the most explosive growth of the church happens in times of persecution. And when everything is good, and we live in a country where you can, you can pray to who you want to, there's nobody banging down your door because you didn't follow a government regulation of what they told you you were supposed to do. Never mind. Maybe they did. Um, that was a joke no one got. I'll move on. But when we have a country in a time of peace, it's like the need to go tell others about him just kind of diminishes. And we say we're doing things to win the lost, but what we're actually trying to do is to fit in more with the world. Because what won the lost in the New Testament is not being like the world. It was signs, wonders, and miracles. It was the this is that moment when they saw the presence and the power of God for healing and miracles. They went, what is that? And they go, oh, that's... That's God. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you and to give your life to Him. You can spend eternity with Him. Well, that's what I want, right? It wasn't my convincing argument that saves people. It was the power and presence of God. We are a sent out people. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now listen to this part. We know that. Go, go. Go, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the wonderful part. It's not just go. It's go, and I'm coming along with you. How many of you are grateful that Jesus doesn't just say, go, Frankie, go do it. He goes, hey, G, he goes, hey, Frankie, go, and I'm coming with you. He is with us as we go. Sometimes I think we get this mentality that we have to go for Jesus. I got I to gotta do for Jesus. I got to go for Jesus. I got to serve him. And he's like, no, I, I want to do it with you. I've learned in praying for the sick that I'm not praying for the sick because Jesus told me to go pray for the sick. And I'm not praying for the sick because I've got the power to heal people. I pray for the sick because I feel his presence with me going, Hey, Clayton, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know, Jesus, what do you want to do? Let's do this. Yeah. And it's a partnership with him. I, I'm not equal to Jesus. Don't, don't get me wrong here. But I'm saying that he wants us to make disciples with him, not for him. That might change your life, that one right there. When you realize it's with, not for. But when we're a sent out people, God calls us out from the world to God but then sends us back into the world with God. That's the difference. That's why we can return to the places long devastated and renew cities, because we are the captive and prisoner that's been set free. But now we can go back to the places long devastated, not just because we're free, we go back to the places of long devastated, taking Jesus with us. That is good news. Next thing we are, is we are a people of the presence. A people of the presence. When people encounter us, they should experience the presence of God. 
There should be something different about us. They may not be able to put their finger on it. They may not be able to tell you what it is, but they should experience something different. Jesus sent us out with his spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit. But because we're presence people, we are also a power-filled people. In Acts chapter 2, we see that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit when the presence came on them. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. First the presence, then the power. Presence always comes before power. If you had that photo, I saw a game out there a little earlier. I want to show you something. I recently just, I've been looking for this photo for a while and finally got it. Can you, it's actually, there's a part that's missing there that you can't see. So I might need to scroll down a little bit. I can show you on my notes. That's a guy named William Branham. You guys may have never heard of William Branham. But William Branham um, was a guy who, that photo was taken in 1950. Probably one of the greatest healing evangelists that America has ever seen as part of the Second Great Awakening. William Branham operated, you know the words of knowledge that we get here sometimes that God wants to heal something? This guy operated so strongly in words of knowledge. He would tell people their address. He would list off all of their relatives, people that had never been in the room before. And then right when he would get knowledge, it was an indication that God wanted to heal something in that person, right? And the word of knowledge was just a way of God saying, this is me doing this, and, and it's me that sees what's going on. And as soon as he gave the word of knowledge and prayed for people, they would get healed by the hundreds. Now, the funny thing about William Branham is he was a terrible preacher. Terrible. I've listened to some of his messages. They will put you to sleep. But the thing that was unique about William Branham is he had an anointing on his life that was so strong, he described it as an angel that he would know, he would see, would stand next to him, an angel would show up. And as soon as the angel would show up, that's how he knew it was time to start moving out in words of knowledge and praying for people. So he would just pray, or sorry, he would preach sometimes for three hours. People would come lay down on the chairs, take a nap until the angel showed up. How funny is that? But one other thing that he would have is he would have a pillar of fire that would appear above his head. You can barely see it there, but can you see it in my notes right there? This picture was taken in 1950, and it's actually part of the Library of Congress. So it's like an official photo. This is before they knew how to do tricks about photos and those kinds of things. That little flame right there would appear over his head when the angel would show up, they wouldn't see the angel, but they would see the pillar of fire. I have that photo, not to memorialize William Branham, but to remind me that without the presence, what's the point? Without the presence, there's no power. And as Paul said, it's not my wise and persuasive words that are going to move anybody. But it's by a demonstration of the Spirit's power. God's presence and power are with you, just like it was with Him. He may have had a particularly special anointing, but I look at that photo of a reminder that even if I can't see a pillar of fire over me, I know that He's there. I know that just like the dove landed on Jesus' shoulder or on his head when he got anointed, the dove is with me too. It's a good reminder before you step out. And the last thing I wanted to share with you, this is what we're going to end on this morning, is that we are a 
What have I shared so far? Who's taking notes? I shared that we are a chosen people. We are a called out people. We are a sent out people. We're a people of the presence. We're a power-filled people. But we are also a covenant people. God made a covenant with us. If you read about it, the covenant that he made with Moses, it's also a covenant with us. But the new covenant is the covenant made in his blood, in the blood of Jesus. It's a stronger and a better covenant than the old covenant. And the covenant that Jesus made with us binds us to him, but it also binds us to each other. In a moment, we're going to take communion. Have we handed it out yet? If we can go ahead and hand out the communion, we're going to take that in a moment. And I wanted to take communion now because it's a reminder not only of the covenant that God has made with us, but it's a reminder of the covenant that as the people of God, we make with each other. I think sometimes when you look at cults, you know, when you hear the word covenant, you can easily think cult. Oh my gosh, I've got to sign in blood. I've got to do everything they tell me. And if you've ever been spiritually manipulated or under spiritual abusive leadership, thank you very much. That word covenant will scare the heck out of you. But it doesn't mean we run away from God's idea of what covenant actually is. A covenant means I don't have an option. I don't get to pick and choose who's in my family. God is the one who picks and chooses who's in my family. I know <laughs> when I read about the diaspora, Romy's actually Irish, she's Australian, but she's, her parents are from Ireland, and so she has more cousins than you could possibly count. She's got cousins everywhere. It would be hard to go to a country and not have one of Romy's cousins somewhere there. And so every time we're like, hey, where should we go on vacation? And we're like, well, where's their cousin? I know there's a cousin somewhere. I feel that way about the body of Christ. Like wherever you go, you can find somebody that's a fellow believer, and they're a part of the family. They're a part of the people of God. I don't care what church they go to. I don't care what songs they sing. If they love Jesus, they're a part of our family. But I often see the family of God in people's eyes reduced to something less than family. And I like the word community. But I got to tell you that the church is not a community. It's a family. And I see people often that are looking for a church and they're looking for a community of people that are like them. I know for some of our young people, it's easy to look around and go, well, there's not a lot of young people here. I'm going to go find a place where there are young people. I understand that. I was once a young person myself. I was once a single person and thought, Boy, there's not a lot of options here in this church. Everybody's either married or at a different place in life than me. And it can be easy for people like that, because I was like that, to look for a church that has the things that I think I actually need the most in my life. But when I treat church like that, I have reduced the church from a family down to just another community and social group for me to meet the needs that I think I have in my own heart. If I'm looking for a church, I'm not looking for a community like me. I'm looking for a covenant people. What brought the disciples together was Jesus 
not their likeness. It's the only way a tax collector and a bunch of fishermen could have ever ended up together is the thing they had in common was Jesus. When I come to my Thanksgiving table, I'm not coming to the Thanksgiving table and thinking, well, who here is like me? Who's my age? Who likes the things that I like? I'm coming to the Thanksgiving table thinking, this is my family. We're so different. And yet here we are together, sitting at the table together. I'm a part of a covenant family. Now, there might be cousins that are my age or the the favorite uncle you gravitate to. That's okay. But we're all family, aren't we? Can Can I talk to some single people here as a person who was single at one time and was in the same place? I understand the desire to find community where there are lots of other singles your age. I do understand that. The church is not a community. It's a family. Don't reduce what's here down to just a place to potentially find a mate. The Bible says in Psalm 68, 6, he sets the lonely in families. I've seen too many single people, not just here, and I'm not, there's nobody I have in mind here, but I see too many single people float from church to church looking for a partner but never finding a family. And God wants to set the lonely in family. He doesn't say, I'll find the lonely a spouse. He says, I'll set the lonely in families. Floaters aren't family. I know that's hard to hear, but if you keep floating around, you'll never actually find the very thing God had intended for you. Jesus had floaters too, right? And I don't mean the floater as in like a derogatory comment. I just mean it's the searching around for that thing in your heart that you desire the most in a partner at the expense of finding your your family. You've actually potentially elevated that desire to become an idol rather than just a desire. Jesus had them too. They would come for the miracles They would come for the healings. They would come for the teachings. And you know what he would do? He would say something like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. (laughs) Not the best ministry building motto you could possibly have. And most of them would leave. I'm amazed at how much Jesus tried to disperse a crowd. Like, it's you're making it hard. Can you imagine the disciples? This was going great. Why do you keep making this so hard? Like, look at the men. You can picture Judas. He's like, we could make a killing off of this, Jesus. And he's like, no, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, what? (laughs) And yet the disciples said, where else can we go? My family might be weird, but this is my family. I may have to explain why my crazy uncle does what he does. My first Christmas with Romy in Australia, her uncle got up on a table and wore an apron because he was cooking and not much else and began to impersonate Tina Turner, singing a Tina Turner song. They're Irish, so you can imagine that it was a little bit different. And what I love about Romy, because I saw that and I went, I love this family. <laughs> and I know the pressure it would have felt to go, She wasn't embarrassed at all. She was like, that's my family. 
that's Uncle Jack. And I love the fact that she didn't have to explain away why there's a part of her family that was a little bit weird. I know when you bring people into the family, there's moments when you're like, all right, worship is not going to be 20 minutes. Some people might get up and say stuff that, you know what, we, don't, we actually don't know what people are going to say. We don't know what we're going to get. They call them these words, and you may not. It's okay. But I also pray we're the type of church that always has a this is that moment. That when they experience the presence of God, like waves going out over the people, which was what was happening this morning, waves of the presence going out, and they're like, what is that? And we go, oh, that, that's the presence of God. What is that I keep feeling on the back of my neck? Oh, that's, that's actually the brush of angels' wings. Anybody ever felt that? I have in worship. Why do I want to cry and laugh all at the same time? That's the work of God in your own heart. Why does that person, Rassi, why did he come in with a knee brace and now he's jumping and running over there? Oh, he got, that's right. I forgot to tell you. God actually heals people of all kinds of physical ailments. That's what I hope we have to explain with people. If my foremost consideration for a church is finding a partner, then my worship is hindered. If my foremost consideration. If my foremost consideration for church is hanging out with friends, then my worship is hindered. But if my foremost consideration for church is to worship Jesus with my family, then I've come to the right place in the right way. Personally, I'm amazed at the things that God just brings my way when I just worship and pray. When I stop focusing on the things and start focusing on Him, either the things I thought I need are less important or the things I did need just kind of find me. Isn't it amazing how that happens sometimes? And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. What is a pagan? Just someone that doesn't live with Jesus in their heart. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. I could tell you story after story of the people in our church that really wanted to be married. And they look around the church and go, there's not a lot of options here, right here, right now, which I disagree with, but some people think that way. But they said, this is my family. And they just continue to serve God and be part of the family. Our worship pastor, Emily, that's her story. But yet she knew this is where God had called her, and now she's married to this wonderful man, Saphir. How does that happen? She sought the kingdom first. I used to be against dating apps because I thought, what a weird way to meet somebody. Boy, I've actually changed my tune on that. I've learned that if you can do it well, it can be a great resource for God to provide a spouse for you. I know there's some bad ones out there, whatever, and you've got to learn how to do it well. But you don't have to find your spouse in the church that you attend. It's okay. You can pro- that limits God to say, God, it has to be in this church. But if you keep going from church to church looking for a spouse you'll miss the family. Amen? I'm so proud of the people in this church that knowing maybe options are few, 
continue to say, but this is my family. I love on Tuesday nights at our worship workshop when I can look out and I can see Papa Richard with the gray beard. And I can see Sam, young Sam, young adult on drums. And I can see my 15-year-old daughter sitting together, not going, boy, I wish you had more people my age here, but in such beautiful relationship and fellowship as a family serving God together. Can I tell you, that is a covenant people. It's deeper than you could possibly imagine. And it's what God's intention is for us. So can we take communion together? Just take your little wafer. I promise you no condemnation if you've already taken it. Just pretend like you're taking it right now. <laughs> but when I take the bread, the, bread the, the Bible says the bread represents his body that was broken for us. Yeah, it's, it's a symbol of his healing. But it's also a reminder that his body was broken for all of us. Let's take it together this morning. And as we drink the cup of this juice, the Bible says this represents the new covenant in his blood. And we are a covenant people. God has made his covenant with us. But he also wants us to live as covenant people to one another. Not as an optional thing. But where I am your brother, and I will be a brother to you. For some, I will be a father to you. For some, I will be a son to you. But I'm not looking for a friend group. I'm not looking for a community. I want to be a part of his family with brothers and sisters like you. Let's take this and thank him for the covenant that he's made with us. Can I pray for you? God, we thank you for a great covenant covenant of promise. I thank you that heaven is here for us now. We don't have to wait. That heaven is our home and we are a people of your presence because you have brought heaven to us in the form of your kingdom, in the form of your son. And I thank you that as you send us out into the world, you go with us to let other people know, hey, there's an adoption paper with your name on it. It's already been signed. All you have to do is put your name on that paper. Jesus has signed your adoption paper to welcome you into his family. Would you come be a part of our family as well? God, I thank you that you're adding to this family daily. And we pray that you would be with us always in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.